McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and once before, Cards episode 184. Well, if you like 1-1 draws, Pompey are the team to support as the Blues flutter out the playoff race into mediocrity. Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Oh, I'm not so bad, Hugh. Yeah, but yeah, Pompey are the one team to support, aren't they? Because they can somehow only score one goal in a game. But but there we are. Um, yeah, we'll dissect all of that. and. Yeah, disappointing short run of games, isn't it? Yeah, it is definitely disappointing. Just the way the season's petered out. But before we get into that kind of stuff, how are you, mate, anyway? Yeah, well, in general, yeah, fine. Um, I had a fun trip to Shrewsbury, other than football. Went to Ironbridge, very nice, never been there. So that was a cool one. But then aside from that, just relaxing and working, to be fair. Getting by, just about. I've been sort of relaxing and working as well, apart from... Earlier on in the week, I think it was, what was it? Yeah, Champions League, Tuesday night, ended up going out. I started drinking in the daytime. For people that don't know, I work near Victoria Station in London, went out with some tapas, la da eh? And then after that, ended up in a sports bar watching the, the Champions League. And let's be honest, mate, I made a right tip of myself. Ended up back on the train drinking 8% cans of mojitos and then tried to cook dinner for me and Jenny, my girlfriend, and ended up making three microwave meals and having one spoon out of each and then passing it out everywhere. That, that, that sounds like you on a midweek. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think the only thing I'd note this week was when I, I had a day off midweek because I'm working Saturday, so I miss Accrington. But then literally the only thing that happened is I stayed up until ridiculous time in the morning to watch the Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs. And they were 6-2 down within like halfway through the entire game. So, so I was not impressed at all. That <laughs> was the first time I've watched them for ages. And I thought, you know what, it might be different this time. All the other five years of watching them in the playoffs. Uh, no, they're not different yeah. at all. Well, I, do you know what I did after your misery? I actually went back and watched the game just out of sheer pleasure to, to watch your team getting battered, <laughs> which I found really fun. 7 3 defeat, mate. It was grim. Honestly, grim. Everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Soft play in, de- in defending one of our players elbowing somebody in the head on purpose and obviously getting suspended because obviously you can't elbow people in the head in any sport <laughs> most of the time. And then, yeah, just petered off. Awful. And they're playing tonight, but I can't stay up because I start work at 7am tomorrow. So, Well, my <laughs> team didn't even make the playoffs. So if anyone's got a team that they hate in a sport we don't already support, let us know at PO Forecast and we can support them for you. Any hated rivals, for instance, you want to do rubbish, just generally, 
hit us up, let us know. We'll support them and they'll generally probably be terrible. That's just the way this year's gone for us, isn't it? All right. Let's get into the actual podcast now. And let's say, first of all, we're going to review the game against Shrewsbury. Following on from that, we're going to review the, again, emphatic 1-1 draw against Oxford. And then we put a question out to you guys and we said, Pompey have likely bottled any chance of a top six finish. What's the main reason and where does the club go from here? And thank you to everyone messaged in. Really makes the show. We appreciate that. And finally, for all of you that are on the edge of your seat, wondering what's going to happen on Saturday, we are going to preview the game against Accrington. Right, Fredster? Let's get into it. Shrewsbury, you travelled over there to watch the game. Nice day out, as you said. Can you just uh, let us know what you thought of the atmosphere generally and, you know, how the fans felt before the game? Was there any excitement or was it sort of kind of expecting us not to do well? Uh, the atmosphere was good to start with. Pretty typical away atmosphere. Some of the chants were going, like the chants about Matt Macy. That was sound. But then it slowly petered off as as we progressed through the game, especially after Shrewsbury scored. And then we offered very little. I think it, it says a lot that on the 65th minute, every single one of the front three behind Bishop was substituted. That says an awful lot, doesn't it? And then, yeah, there are some chances that are a bit unsavoury. And then we got the goal in the end, but we had a bit of excitement to it, but really it didn't matter, really. <laughs> there was no real hope that Pompey would get back in this game. They they avoided losing, but they didn't deserve much else. I think I think a one-all draw was sort of fair, really. I mean, just about, I would say. Shrewsbury were probably the better side overall. So, yeah, very disappointment. The atmosphere didn't continue for the entire game, did it? No, and quite understandably, I suppose, from the people who travelled all the way to Shrewsbury to watch the game. So let's start at the beginning, I suppose. There was one effort for Shrewsbury, which has started from a throw-in. They sort of dummy the long throw. It's worked around the edge of the box. And there's a long shot. I mean, that's how you put a shot on target, isn't it? Smashed in. And, you know, fair play to Matt Macy, who gets his hand to it and tips it over the bar. Sort of a warning shot there, Fred, wasn't it, for, from Shrewsbury? Yeah, they had, a, they had a number of chances. And in the entire game, their XG was reasonable. I think it was 1.09 in the end. So just over their one goal. Shay Dunkley had a fair number of chances from set-piece situations. He was probably the man that matched the entire game for me. Just a rock-solid centre-half in the middle of a three. Marked Bishop out for most of the game. Very strong, very good in the air. Didn't put a foot wrong, really. He didn't look like the sort of defender who could pass out properly. But no, he was one of Shrewsbury's better players alongside Luke Leahy, I thought. Yeah, then Poppy didn't really get a grip of this game, really. Not not for a while, anyway. And then Rob Street for Shrewsbury seemed to be their like, bright spark. He managed to get a hold of the ball from a long ball situation, turn and have a shot that just went wide. And that was before before the goal later on. And yeah, which was an example of how Ports were sco- letting goals for most of the season, an individual error leading to a chance and the opposition take it. We've seen it way too many times. Yeah, we have indeed. And we also sort of knew that Shrewsbury were going to be a hard team to break down. We both predicted a draw before the game, a little pat on the back. You said 1-1. And just looking at some of the stats, even from, from Opta, you're looking at the jewels, the ground jewels one, Shrewsbury 153%, according to Opta here, with 32. 
it was one of those things that we knew was going to be a difficult game in that sense, wasn't it? To break down a very good sort of like strong, as we say, Shrewsbury midfield and, and, and back line as well. And that sort of played itself out really in this game, didn't it? With Pompey not being able to create any chances. I saw in the stats as well, it said or not to the, the keeper and you had to make one save. I mean, it's okay having all this possession that Pompey have at this moment in time in lots of games. I've looked it up and, you know, 64% of the ball, but if you can only make the keeper make one save, that's sort of the story of the last few games, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've all realised that possession doesn't particularly matter. It's intent with possession that matters. I mean, Pompey had a fair amount of the ball in the midfield, but there was no incisive passing in the final third. Shrewsbury were fairly comfortable in their shape most of the time. I don't think it was out of a lack of willingness, but just a lack of intuition and nous to be able to get round a, a, another team that sort of play in a low block and then counter-attack. How many times have we said that over seasons upon seasons upon seasons? And it just seems like the players behind Bishop weren't that creative for me. Um Pacino persevering with the 4-2-3-1 and he said in the paper before that he's missing that key cog, that number 10, that creative playmaker. And again, how many times have we mentioned that on this show? But if he's going to persevere with that 4-2-3-1, then he has to have the players for it. And at the moment he doesn't, there's no like creative link between the two and the, um, the wingers are struggling. They're absolutely struggling. So when the fullbacks try and move forward to help them, they can often get caught out of position, then it's counter-attacks all day long for an outside. Um, that was the main issue in the Oxford game after all. But no, seeing the three behind Bishop get subbed off on the 65th minute, Pompey only having three shots in the entire of the second half, I know they equalised. It's just not good enough, is it? It's just not. It's not good enough. And it's also that story of at the moment, it looks like a set piece is going to be the way that we're going to sort of get a goal back, doesn't it? Our actual generation of chances in open play is pretty, pretty poor, really, isn't it? Generally. And, you know, you're looking for a corner or a free kick or something like that in order for us to score. It's just a bit bad, isn't it? A bit of a laugh here on the goal. Obviously, Conor Ogoy knocks it on goal from the corner, gets his head on it, puts it, it looks like he's going in. Marlon Pack there does what I like to call the Dave Nugent, doesn't he? I, I think that's already on target, isn't it? From oh, Absolutely, yeah, helps it in. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely helps it in. And that's honestly where most of Pompey's expected goals came from, literally. I think uh, Scout gave Pompey 2.23 expected goals in this game, but 0.57 it was Pack's goal, which is fairly reasonable but uh, I think a lot of those shots from Pompey were blocked as well so as soon as we were able to get into nice into their shape and expected goals on Scout anyway counts block shots um, but if they're steered wide then they don't really have much precision in that way but yeah it was, no, it was nice to see equal equaliser nice to be a bit, see a bit of character there we didn't go over the uh, Shrewsbury's first goal we glossed over it slightly but it was from Rob Street Raggett pressed, which people know now that if you press Sean Raggett, it's going to cause issues. His pass to Ogilvy, which is the right pass, was intercepted. Elliot Bennett plays a one-two, sprints all the way down the left wing, cuts onto his cuts onto his inside foot. Lovely cross the street, and it's a header right in off the post. Some people thought uh, from our, our angle behind the goal, um, it looked like Bishop uh, Macy was slow in diving all the way out, but seeing it on the replay. No, it was just a lovely header, I thought. And lovely counter-attack play, executed very well, but 
they shouldn't have had it in the first place. I mean, he could Raga could have potentially passed back to Macy or passed back to the centre half, perhaps. It's just one of those things where the the defence isn't reacting very well to not necessarily a high press throughout the entire game, but high pressing in certain scenarios. And Pompey in their high press and their passes up for defensive action, they were five point nine five. But crucially, the majority of that was in the last 70, 76 to 90th minute when Shrewsbury had the red card. Their press was all the way down to 1.3, so they're pretty much on top of Shrewsbury for that entire period. That obviously skews their numbers beforehand. It was 13 in 31 minutes to 45, then eight and a half, then eight in 15 minute chunks, which is reasonable, but they just didn't get a handle of it. And it's a nice bit of quality to get back into the game with lovely costs from Michael Jacobs for the corner. But from open play, they created very little. And we've seen, uh, and that's why Pompey aren't as high as they should be. It's, it's, that's, and that makes it a shame. And it's even more frustrating that Pompey fans saw it coming, to be honest. Was it you who started the fuck off back to Tottenham chant, Freddie? I know you get a bit carried away sometimes on Dane Scarlett. Was it, was that you? I have to admit, I was involved in it. And look, thinking back on it, I thought it was harsh from me, to be fair. Um, because honestly, it's nasty. It's, and it's a child that's not actually going to help the team, is it? It's not going to help Dane Scarlett, is no. it? He, 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 he wants, to, he wants to be gone at the end of the season. I don't blame him <laughs> for the way that, yeah. It, his performance has been bad, but come on. It, 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 as soon as I got home, I felt terrible about it. But it's one of those things. And at football, it's easy to overreact, abuse people, which I think everybody at a football match has done, said unsavoury things to, to a footballer, of course. And you, you forget that they're human. And it's not right. I think it's one of the worst things I've done at football. There was still one gesture that was worse. Have I, to- have I told about this on this show? I think I told you at one point. I think so. It was... um it was at my least favourite game of all time. The 4-2 defeat to York City at York City in the first League 2 season or the second League 2 season. One of the two. doesn't matter. They blend together. It was actually a game where Jed Wallace actually ran from the halfway line and scored that game, for people wondering. And it was John Sullivan in goal. Palmed it straight to their striker for the first goal from a free kick. Fine. Jed Wallace immediately brought it back to like 2-1 in the end. It was a corner. Saw John Sullivan go up, collect it like normal. Then I was immediately looking to Patrick Azumang up front. I was thinking, oh, the keeper will collect it quickly, do the goal kick all the way. Uh, but no, I looked back and uh, John Sullivan was on the floor and the ball was in the back of the net. And then we found out that he made an absolute meal of that corner, dropped it, also went on to lose 4-2. I didn't even swear it. I swear at him. They, uh, they were clapping the fans on the way back. And literally all I did, I saw him and did hands up in the air like, you, like a, like a goalkeeper claiming, claiming across from a corner, but then wiggled by thumbs because when you're supposed to claim a save from a corner, you're supposed to, supposed to put your thumbs at back, obviously try and catch the ball and he didn't. And he saw it and I thought that was, that's probably still is the worst thing because obviously you know how, what happened with John Sullivan later on in his career had horrible mental health issues and then eventually fell out of football. And obviously, he probably doesn't even remember that, or you, you, you can never tell how much that would affect somebody. And and that was from a gesture that wasn't even, well, some say it was cheeky, some say it was clever when I was younger, but it's just nasty, isn't it? And that chant was the same, and I do feel bad about being involved in it um, in the bright light of day. 
And yeah, I'll, I, I, I'd apologize for that. Dane probably, Dane definitely doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> he definitely doesn't. But yeah, um, it makes me think that I'm not going to tell other people what to do at football because I'm not really in a position to really. People can do what they like at football as long as they're not hurting anybody. Um, physically or verbally. But yeah, I'm going to try and be better and not do that. Um, try and be a bit more level-headed. And if that means having one less pint before the game, then it means one less pint before the game as well. Even though there was none consumed before that game. That is not going to happen. Let's just get real about that. One less pint before the game, Freddie. Let's, let's try and set realistic targets here, mate, for you, rather than let's have one less pint before the game, because that's just not going to happen, is it? Mm, mm. Well, 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 no, but just generally speaking, I suppose, I think all this sort of frustration is sort of feeding through from what fans are telling us and what people think as well. And unfortunately, at this moment in time, it's just not good enough, really. And you can see that sort of frustration as the season peters out. Let's move on to the Oxford game, shall we? Let's go and talk about the magical Oxford, a team that I quite hoped got relegated because some of their fans annoy me a little bit. And it means that Andy can't go and watch other League One games because... You know, we actually know he's a part-time Oxford fan, right? So he's always going down there and watching games. He's going to hate me for saying that out loud on the podcast. But yeah, so Oxford starts quite brightly, doesn't it, with Marlon Pack? That is a beauty of a free kick. Again, though, it has to come from a set play. But it's nice to see him sort of picking up some sort of form and a little bit of quality and sort of carrying the team, I suppose, when we need to get a chance and create a goal. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely free kick right in the top corner. Lovely bit of quality. And it's actually quite incisive play from Pombi beforehand with the ball being played over to Paddy Lane does a central pass to Pack and then Ogilvy was there as well offering support up front then the tackle for the free kick all good yeah and then Pack with a lovely finish I can't decide which free kick was better that one or the one against Ipswich at Fram Park the one that curved and then cannoned off the post I thought though it's nice to have a midfielder who can do a set piece like that uh, I think that's incredibly valuable beforehand though Oxford had a lot of chances that Gatlin O'Donker up front for Oxford, he missed a collection of chances. Um, so did Carl Joseph, missed a chance of a corner. Uh, they pressed Connor Ogilvy when he, pre- when he was up high with the ball. Tyler Goodrum, it was eventually fell to Tyler Goodrum, their winger, went down the wing, put in the cross for O'Donker, who turned, who did a very nice turn around the defender, but absolutely scuffs it wide. Absolutely scuffs it all the, all, all the way wide. And it was, Probably one of their best chance, and that was before the pack goal. And then, yeah, even though we're a one nil up, largely due to a bit of quality, I would have liked Pompey had been stronger defensively there. I know it didn't help that the referee Declan Bourne was a bit card happy in this game. And Andy Andy Boone on the commentary said a stat like, "How many red cards did he say?" He said a ridiculous amount of he's given a ridiculous amount of red cards, probably one every two games or something, which is pretty insane. But yeah, I thought I thought Poppy would be a bit more stable defensively beforehand, and they just weren't. And overall, if you look at what's happened in this game as well, Cameron Brannigan's obviously a class player. He's you know championship quality player. Really, he's surprised he's still at Oxford, but it's nice to see a bit of loyalty, I suppose, from from a player in that sense. But even when you look at chances created in this game, Cameron Brannigan created four chances. The next player's you know down was one, and again, Cameron Brannigan creates something, doesn't he, for their goal, and it ends up in the back of the net. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was in the corner. Sam Long. I'm sorry, but who was marking him? He was literally in the middle of the penalty area, away from the defensive line. 
It's disgraceful. There was nobody. There was nobody within five yards of him, let, let alone two yards. He was just on his own. Thank you very much. But uh, plants the header straight in the corner. Pompey defenders shouting at each other, saying, "Who's marking him?" Oh, you should have figured that out before the corner, surely. Yeah, it, it just brings it back to that beloved one one all score line. At some point, I will go back and check how many one alls we've had during the season. I bet it's a ridiculously high number. And then it just petered off. Like in the Shrewsbury game, Pompey barely did anything in the second half. Aside from that, in the goal in that game, obviously, Pompey only had two shots in the second half. There are relatively high expected goals chances in comparison to Oxford's trying to pepper the goal a little bit. But that doesn't really matter. There was Bishop with the header from the corner that went straight eastward. And then there was a reasonable shot from Owen Dale. It was, who was sort of pushed out wide though. So, and that was straight to the keeper, but uh, that, which was a half chance, wasn't it? It was a half chance we'd expect the keeper to save. And that's it. Pompey were absolutely overrun in this game. And Oxford are very unlucky not to get three points. They deserve the three points in this game, but it's a shame that they haven't really got anybody up front to convert their chances. Odonka up front wasn't brilliant. And then Billy Bowden came on and he wasted. A lot of chances where he was slow to get the ball out of his feet and two of those shots he had, three shots he had were blocked. Nice bit of defending, but aside from that, not very much. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's just the it's the timing of this that annoyed me. Somehow Pompey got in the position a couple of weeks ago where there were three points off the playoffs. Somehow, some way, even with the horrible run in December, even with the managerial sacking, even with some some bad performances in there, Poppy had collected a number of results together or on a little bit of a run and we're three points off. That's, uh, I, I wasn't saying, I'm not saying Pompey were favourites in that scenario, but they, but they were in with a shout, weren't they? And he looked at the run in and we tried to look at objective and say, okay, even if they don't win those games, if they, if they beat the sides, the sorts of sides they have been beating during this season, remember, away from home especially, They've been beating sides in the bottom half of the table fairly consistently. Pompey would still be in with a shout of potentially nicking the last playoff space. And four dra- draws in a row and they bottled it. They bottled it, unfortunately. Now, some would argue that bottling it is a bit harsh, either by saying they didn't have it in the first place because of the one win in 15 that basically killed the season. Fair enough. And the argument is, oh, Pompey would have been good enough if they got in the playoffs anyway. But they were three points off. They were three, they were three points off. And, and as much as we criticise this side, there are some good players here. There's a core of a side that you could potentially go into next season, maybe five or six players. So it could, it, it, if it went the right way, it could have happened. But it's the fact that it's petered off with four draws in a row against sides scrapping for relegation and Pompey creating very little up front and the same problems happening again and individual errors defensively for the reason why we concede goals. No wonder the fans are fed up. No wonder they're fed up. It doesn't, it, it seems to not matter which manager it is or which formation it is, which, or which style of play they pick. The lack of creativity up front, the defensive errors on the back end and slow movement off the ball and slow movement in possession other reasons why this side are not a playoff side at the moment. And that is, well, that, that, that's, that, that's it in a nutshell, in my humble opinion. 
yeah, it's absolutely pedestrian, isn't it, with the movement in in the middle of the park and. Poor Cobby Bishop is just not even getting any service now. We were saying before he was taking his limited chances and stuff, but at this moment in time, he's not getting any sort of real service in games. He's doing a lot of chasing and then battling, etc. But you, I, I, I looked at the Cobby Bishop's expected goals and shots mm-hmm. in his last five games. He's not scored. Uh, he's not scored since the two-all draw at Port Vale at home, which arguably Pompey. Threw away defense again. Threw away defensive errors. Came back with a little, just a little bit of quality, and then hung up for the draw. In these last five games, Cody Bishop has had three shots for a combined total of 0.23 expected goals, and has had one shot on target. That just shows the, the lack of chances he's actually had. Three shots, and Bishop is the, is not the sort of striker we know. He's not the sort of striker to shoot massively from stupid positions. So we know it's not that. And positionally in games, he's never been isolated with defenders. But another stat also shows that he's creating it around him. In those games, he has got 0.88 expected assists. He's getting involved in the play. It's not It's not as if he's missing. And people could say see that by watching it. It's just the fact that he's not been given the service in these last five games when it's mattered. And with the side that's set up currently, Colby Bishop's the only one who scores goals. I think it still might be the case that Conor Ogilvie's the second highest top goal scorer. Uh, I'll have to double check that, but at one point he was with five league goals compared to Colby Bishop's 18 league goals. It's maddening. Completely maddening. It is completely mad. And it's a situation where you've got to look at this team and look at the attacking contingent, the, you know, the, the, the wide players, etc., and just think, He's probably got to clean them out, haven't you, in the summer and, and go again because none of these players seem to be capable of creating no matter what formation, whether it's a 4-3-3, or whatever we've set up as. doesn't seem to make much difference, does it, at this moment in time. I want to have a quick one there. Do you think that the missing of Joe Morell in the centre of midfield and the way he sort of helps drive play, give a bit of energy, create gaps and space, do you think that's something that has been missing in these this run of draws that's happened after that bit of positivity going on? Obviously, it just shows a real lack of depth, having him not being in the team, if that is the case, and not being able to create chances. But just the sort of pedestrian nature of the centre of midfield, how slow it is, the lack of runs going forward. Do you think that's a big miss for the team? I mean, if it is, it's, it's pretty damning. But do you think that's something that could have been a difference maker? Uh, potentially. I think that's probably the main reason, one of the main reasons why Messino went to the 4 2 3 1. He's mentioned beforehand that that's, he wants that number 10 creative playmaker. Okay. Well, if you say that, then it depends. Are you really, are you going to go into next season with a 4 3 3 of Pack, Lowry, Morel, which I think might work in a 4 3 3 with the right wingers and striker? I think that'll work. I don't think you necessarily need a number 10 there. I think you saw, you, you saw it okay working at the start of the MK Dons game. Yeah, yeah, we just have, we've barely seen it this season due to injuries yeah. and uh, and other reasons. I think we, uh, okay, so you go for the four two three one. We've seen Piggott play number ten, right? <laughs> You're basically playing a striker at number ten again. We know how well that works. We've seen Ryan Tinycliffe also play in that setup. He's his, before, his good performances have sort of dropped off a little bit, in my opinion. He's not having the same impact in games, I don't think. And yeah, it's one of the reasons. And we know the lack of depth in the wing is there. We know that already. We don't need to trod over, <laughs> go over well-trodden ground. But yeah, I just looked at top goal scorers list on BT Sport. Not BT Sport, BBC Sport. 
In all comps, Colby Bishop, 23 goals, 5 assists. Second highest, Piggott, 5. Curtis, 5. Hackett, 5. Ogilvy, 5. And then uh, just picking out stats on the wingers, Owendale, 2 goals, 5 assists. Jacobs, 4 goals, 2 assists. Hackett, 5 goals, 1 assist as a winger, primarily. I still think he should be played in the middle, if you are going to play him at all. And then Curtis, 5 goals, 2 assists. It's not there. <laughs> There's no depth scoring to this side, and if you can, and because of that, if you can't provide chances for Bishop, then you're not going to win games. Plain and simple, and that's where and that's where all the draws coming from. You can't provide chances for Bishop, but you also can't provide chances or create chances for yourself. Then it's absolutely hopeless, really. I mean, Rico, to be fair to him, has had a lot of impact from the bench rather than actually even starting games. So you look at the players who have been starting a lot, the likes of Dale, for instance, on one side. I'd be interested to hear what you thought about Paddy Lane playing in this game at the start before he was subbed off. Obviously, he's a player that's going to be around next season. He's, you know, he's a permanent player. We haven't quite seen enough of him, to be honest, from what we've seen so far. And going into the summer, do you have confidence that he can be a starting player for us? I think so far he's been, in that Oxford game, he was okay, but not spectacular. Didn't set the world on fire, didn't drive the play himself but looked incisive when the ball was played out to him. But he has been an underwhelming signing so far. I think most people would agree. I know he's swapped around the back, uh, the free behind the striker a little bit, and you got the argument that, oh, well, he's barely played beforehand, so he's not match fit. He was bought relatively for a fair amount of money. He has to perform this season, next season, and the year after that, because he's got long, probably the longest deal at the club now, hasn't he? Because I think he's got like this half of the season and three more years, I believe. Wouldn't surprise me, really. That transfer has to work. Um, I don't think Lane has earned, if you put him on the right side, if that's where he wants to play, he hasn't earned the starting right wing spot. Next season, if you're looking for four two three one, you need arguably a right winger, a left winger, a cam. Arguably, maybe two wingers per side, probably. Even with Curtis and Lane there, if you are, if you do, if you decide to re-sign Curtis or if you decide to keep Hackett and not moving on, even though for me, Hackett out wide is quite wasteful and he's very one footed. So he slows down play an awful lot and he doesn't put in many crosses from what I've seen. Yeah. That, that's obviously the key area that Pompey needs to strengthen. But it, and in this Oxford game, Oxford peppered them completely. They seem to, Pompey seems to have no control of the game whatsoever, even, even with the midfield. Obviously, we talk about Maxinho's quotes as well. He got pilloried for some of his quotes, saying it was a good game of League One football and it was a, a decent point. I don't think that's what he meant, relatively. I, th- I think he probably said the result was... De- well, I think what he meant to say was the result was decent in itself, that due to the fact we didn't lose. But in the broad spectrum of the entire league, what's going on, it, it obviously isn't. Um yeah, I think a decent point is much more on the level of considering how shit we were and how many chances we gave away to come away with a point. You know, when they had 21 shots compared to our seven, when they created three big chances that they missed compared to our one, all this sort of thing, looking at the data, looking at the performance by the eye, maybe a 1-1 result was decent for us considering how poor we were. Yeah, and we didn't have a high press in this game at all. There was only... One period of the game between the 61st and 75th minute where the press were, the PBDA was below 10. And then it petered off completely. Um, 
The crossing accuracy was poor in this game with 23% compared to the 34% average of the league. And again, we're behind on the dual metrics. Apart from the aerial duels, whoopee, we can head, we can head the ball relatively well. Oh, but if the ball's on the ground, we, we lose the ball in and then out of possession. Yeah, both games we watched here, we, st- we can't win the ball. No. We can win the ball in the air if, if a team results in crossing. Because we have tall volleyball, defend- is it? Because we have, t- we have tall defenders and relatively tall midfielders most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it, it was just the fact that there was a little bit of hope there, wasn't there? I think a lot, a lot of people felt that. Even even after the Forest Green win, which was not spectacular in any way, and the performance was largely poor, and we didn't create that much. But it was 1-0, three points, and we were ahead of our rivals at that point, and that got us within three points. And the fact that they not necessarily even threw it away dr- uh, dramatically is the fact that it, it, the season just petered off completely in four games where they were the favourite, arguably. And it's understandably frustrating for everyone because this run was supposed to be some fairly easy teams, you know, relatively easy anyway. These are teams that good teams in the league come out and no matter if they play well or not, they get points. They pick up three points, they get some wins on the way. You get the odd draw, that's just the nature of League One. But at the same time, if you can't do that, you just don't deserve to be. Or or even if they lose, they battle back with three points the next game. Exactly. You know, the Morecambe game, if you can't beat Morecambe, which is actually what was even said on the podcast, wasn't it, before, if you can't beat them, you shouldn't be a playoff team. And it's obvious this is not a playoff team. We don't seem to have that sort of drive when it counts to be able to convert, to be able to create chances, to have that drive. The team just looks so sort of lost for chances, lost for for ideas even, rather than chances of how to create those chances for the team. And to be honest, I'm just sort of getting to the stage now where we're going to enjoy going to the games with your friends, looking forward to Derby away. And apart from that, mate, it's it's really going to be a lot of big questions asked, isn't it? And we'll come on to that now in the listener question. How do you not be in this situation for another league season? Because in the, this re- in team the record is, season in the third tier of yeah, English football. This, um, has, yeah. this has to change, doesn't it? All right, anyway, let's move on. We put a question out to you guys and we said, Pompey have likely bottled any chance of a top six finish. What's the main reason and where does the club go from here? Thanks to everyone messaged in. Again, really appreciate it. It makes a show. So let's just get started. Let's get cracking with it. There's some hard-hitting questions here, Fredster. So Lewis messaged in and said, I'll be interested to hear your honest thoughts on whether... At this very moment, you're feeling confident in Messinio taking the club forward next season. For me, whoever is manager, I think top two needs to be the ambition or it's just getting boring. Top two needs to be the ambition. Promotion needs to be the ambition every season for Portsmouth. We've talked about this. Don't want to bang the drum in that sense. But thoughts on Messinio? Look, I mean, it's pretty hard to judge him. I know some fans are unhappy with the style of football, etc., and the way we've done. I've, I don't know if it's a little bit reactive at this moment in time to the results on the pitch, but it's quite clear to see to me that we just don't have the attacking talent in this team, which is going to make us a playoff team. Yeah, on the first point, promotion. It's, it's Portsmouth Football Club and the third tier of English football. That is promotion is the aim every single season, regardless of looking at opposition teams regardless of how much money is put in. That is the expectation in the fans' eyes every single season, and that's what it should be. Portsmouth, historically, second-tier, lower-mid-table side. Fine. Messina this season, I'm treating it like Danny Cowley's first season. Well, first half-season, actually, because he came in 
after Kenny Jacket. Massinho had a bit more time, granted, a couple of months, if that. Had the back end of a January as well. So that's something to consider. Yes, some of the play has been forced. Some of the some of the some of the tactical decisions have been a bit strange. I don't see I don't see how Riley Towler has not played since that Port Vale game, unless it's injury related, which it may or may not be if it's a knock or whatever. And yeah, the idea of in that MK Don's game where Messino admitted to making the tactical error of pushing back and then inviting MK Don's on, which sort of led to them retaking control of the game. Fine. He he said as much in the media as well. My main concern is I think we will know if he is up to the job next season when he has a summer alongside Richard Hughes with his own players. And I know that's kicking the can down the road into the summer again, <laughs> like, like you know, which is, always seems to happen with Pompey, that they always want to rebuild in the summer. But when, but when we have that, when fans have that, they can actually put together a proper picture on if Machina is the right man to get his promotion or not. Um, the club have definitely, well... They've gone out in the media and said they've backed him. It makes sense that Massinho with effectively Cowley's players as well. Because, well, Ryder Taylor came in just under Richard Hughes, who bought him on his own. And then it's two player, two lone players and then Paddy Lane. It's not necessarily, I wouldn't say it's Massinho's squad just with those additions, would you? So, yeah, it's a long way to go. Uh, I wouldn't... Uh, some of the performances have been good. I think Bolton, Bolton at home was the best one. I think I don't know if there are any other games that stick out stick out to you. But on the other hand, I'm not blown away either. I'm sort of in the middle, waiting for <laughs> waiting for either a spark or something glaringly obvious that's wrong. Yeah, it started quite strongly in his tender, didn't it? And it's just basically, you know, petered out as we said. I'm in the minds that I want to see him and Hughes work together in the summer, put a squad together. I just think it's going to have a lot shorter leash than we've seen before under Danny Cowley and definitely under Kenny Jacket. So I think some of the fans who maybe are on the get him out sort of idea already might be a bit happier by the, by the thought that they'll be given time to build this squad in the summer. I think it's rolled out again. I, I think, think it, I think he'll be given one full season. I think I think next season will be the free hit season. Well, not necessarily the free hit season, but unless yeah, unless something it completely goes wrong, if they if they're completely well away in their mid table, I think he gets the sack. If they're in and around the playoffs, but then, for example, miss again, I think he gets an, like another summer. But then he won't get the full season afterwards. He'll get half a season at most. I'm not so sure if it, gets to the, if it gets to the stage where, you know, we, we sort of finish similar to where we are now, I think, at the end of the season and there's no progression. Now, we can argue whether that's down to ownership not supplying enough money, whether the budget's good enough, etc., or whether it is down on the manager at this moment in time. But I think if we or, find or ourselves in the same situation... Or whether it's just down to individual player performances. I mean, that, that needs to change, doesn't three. it? Mm. That needs to change from a squad basis. And that's about bringing the right people in. And that'd be a bit down on Richard Hughes as well. I mean, if he recruits a load of donkeys next year and we're looking at the players on the pitch going, you know, this, this team really isn't good enough. Then, you know, some of the blame will then go on to the director of football as well, as well as the manager, because at the end of the day, the manager can only do what they can do with the, the sort of players they have. 
And yes, some managers get more out of certain players. I've seen some people talking about Neil Warnock coming in and what he's done with Huddersfield and how he sort of turned them around, etc. So yeah, maybe in the short term, you have short term managers that can find some sort of spark in an old school way. But it's not really worked for Mick McCarthy, is it? At Blackpool either. So, you know, there's there's two sides to every coin in that sense. My my feeling is we go again in the summer. He gets given time to build a squad with players he thinks he wants to play in a certain way. It's quite clear he hasn't got the players to do that at this moment in time. And then we see where we are. MTPFC messaged in and says, the lack of movement when we're in possession has been our problem all season. I mean, you're not wrong. You're spot on, really. It's a shame, isn't it, Fred, really, that it seemed to be coming together a little bit more with Larry coming back into the team, with Morel, etc. And it's just just gone to shit, isn't it? Yeah, that has probably been consistently out of the entire of Pompey's tenure in League One, that has been the criticism that I've labelled against this side the most. It's the fact that the movement off the ball isn't there. Either that's because of restricted tactics put in or the players not being good enough or mobile enough or predicting runs and dictating the game. Because movement off the ball helps when we have lots of possession. It doesn't matter when you have 64% possession where your play is slow and uh, the opposition are nice in their shape in their two banks of four or their low block, does it? Moving off the ball solves that problem, creates gaps, creates high-tempo football. We didn't really... We we only saw that in spurts under Kenny Jacket. We saw it in spurts under Danny Cowley. And Danny Cowley is like third of the season, then at the beginning of this season, and then little bits here and there the season before, but not for any reliable amounts of time. And then again, we saw it in spurts under John Bassino, and then, oh, it's dropped to the floor again, where uh, as soon as the moon off the ball goes, the performances just dip offensively. Yeah, that's the biggest criticism I can have this side. The moon off the ball is just not there. And it hasn't been there for consistently for a long time. Shit, our gold chance messages in and says, crap players, thanks. You're not wrong with some of them, mate. I've forgotten Pompey Cole said that as well. You're not wrong. I've just got to agree. Obviously, there's not all these players are crap, are there? We've discussed, you know, there are players next season that you can build around. I know people have, some people have that's really riled up on the level of Messinio saying that there was a sort of a, a core here or that he could build around. But, you know, if they're fit and stuff, the likes of Morel, Lowry, Pack, Rafferty, Bishop, if he stays... These are players you can build around, I think but they just need just said, a lot more. You just said the core there in my head. When I think of the core group of players in a side who are probably going to start every week, if they're fit and in the right formation, it's Towler, Rafferty, Pack, Lowry, Morell, Bishop. And that's half a starting eleven. And when Massino says that's something to build on, he's not wrong. That's half a starting eleven, isn't it? It's half of a promotion side you could see in your head maybe a promotion side having the majority of those players in it can't you or a playoff side having the majority of those players in it yeah the rest of it rest of some of the players who are starting i see as depth players in a good playoff squad and then there are some players who i don't see playing for the team at all if they have if 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 promotion is the ideal and I think think we've been going long enough now for listeners to know which players we like, which players we don't like. And listeners have their own opinions on which players they like and which players they don't. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and let's be honest, we've got half a team of players that really just are mediocre and aren't good enough to have that quality to open teams up or that quality to be able to shut teams out down as well. The amount of individual errors as well across the team is is really frustrating to watch as a fan, isn't it? We need to be more mobile at the back. We need to be able to pass the ball out better. We need to be able to bring it out the back and allow the midfielders to advance, which means that when they get the ball, they're already up the pitch and then can sort of create things through the middle. We need wingers that can cross the ball to a player who can actually score goals with his head. We need people who can shoot the ball, create chances, score goals. We need people who can run in behind and actually attack on the counter and make smart choices. Because a lot of time, even when we do get counter breaks, they don't seem to know what to do with the ball. And again, that's something you look at a team down the lower half of this table and into League Two, really. Not having that ability to be creative enough or just know what to do with the ball enough or be confident enough on the ball or have the skill and the high-end talent, basically, to be able to, to, to score goals or to shut teams out. I think overall, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked on in the summer and they've got a, a big job ahead of them. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember when Pompey, under Kenny Jacket, when high-end talent would bail them out of games? Going back to that, imagine if you had, argue the management of this tenure may potentially, or somebody different, with that high-end talent again. Uh, it, it, it makes you very sad. <laughs> Yeah, because you don't have that game winner who can just come out of nowhere and just and just score a goal, do you? So if if they basically stick the best defender on Colby Bishop and, and man-mark him and don't give him space, then at this moment in time, this team has not got anyone else who can pop up and score yeah, goals. Or, or, or especially especially for sides to play back three, they can literally just stick two defenders on him um, and another midfielder in the block can just come back, can't they, to cover where the other centre-half would be. He's completely crowded out effectively, isn't he? Just completely crowded out. Pompey Blue Mesh in and says, rookie director of football hires rookie manager who used to help out at a club on match days. All under scrutiny of owners who know nothing about football. I said in January, we're part of a social experiment. I've not changed my mind. I mean, what is the social experiment here? Is it just put people who don't know what they're doing in charge? Well, of when I first read that, you know I saying? thought it was like the experiment of like using a director of football and a head coach, which sometimes you don't always see at this level of football. I guess the only other thing is how much patience can you put on uh, put on somebody, <laughs> I guess. And I know some people mentioned, and, and this goes into the idea of the atmosphere hasn't been good enough at games. It's like, oh, do you remember when Portsmouth were nearly going bust? Do you remember the first two League Two seasons when we were absolutely dreadful, had had no had no talent in the squad and that type of thing? The difference was the expectations were lower and we were a fan-owned club. Those are the reasons to have support back then. I know, I know we had expectations at the beginning of the first League Two season, but that ended when Johnny Ertl elbowed someone in the head and we lost 4-1 in that game. And then Patrick Adjibang and Dylan Colody had, had spent the entire half-time arguing, if you if you heard that podcast with Simon Ferry on it. That's why the atmosphere was arguably better at some of those games, or, or they were, because there was that proper connection, wasn't there? I don't like harping on about it, but we don't... We, just we never we don't have that connection at the moment. We're a club owned by a billionaire, and that's well, or a millionaire or a billionaire, depending on who you look at, an outside owner. So naturally, there's going to be less connection there. Then you take a side that's been I'm going to I'm going to say recently. I'll say in the last three seasons, mediocre, 
with the same issues and you're watching clubs of a similar stature go past Pompey on and off the pitch. Are you surprised why fans are pissed off? I'm not. And really, do you understand why fans are probably fed up and they don't want to get fully behind a group of players who probably aren't going to be here next season, maybe, and who let them down, and in some scenarios, let them down a lot. It's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because they say, oh, back the players 100%. I know it's Pompey, but no no team does that all, all the way through. Not in England, anyway, I don't think. It's not Europe where you have ultras groups and so on. Pompey's fans are really special. When we actually see a light in any game, we get behind the players. But in so many, so many of those games, there's no light at all, regardless of the result. Is there? Yeah, I mean, you can, it doesn't. It didn't matter. Right. Did you, put it this way: the atmosphere in the Forest Green game, where we won one nil, was terrible, and there were three points off the playoffs because the performance wasn't very good. Still won, still got the job done. I think the last game where there was a proper atmosphere was Bolton, where we beat them three one at Fratton Park. When it was a very even game, we stood toe to toe with a promotion chasing side. The performance was good. The players were up for it, and the fans got behind them naturally, obviously. When, and when, uh, when Bolton were on, when Bolton were on top of Pompey as well, and as far as the game weren't playing very well, fans got behind them. So I'm not having this entire, I'm not having the entire thing where the fans have gone completely. You know, the expectations are unfair, and we and we're a bunch of crybabies who've gone completely against it. I'm not having that at all. It's very difficult when you watch a team who generate literally hardly any chances in a game. When it's so pedestrian, when you're watching a team who who can't create anything going forward and you're just trying to get behind them constantly, but at the same time, you know, we all want to back the team, don't we? We're all fans who go spend money, go watch the team, etc. But when it's year after year of more of the same and it seems to be a bit regressive at this moment in time, we've, you know, over the seasons, we've not got better, we've got worse. I think that's fair to say. And when you do that and you spend your money and you go each week and you go away or you go home or however you do watch this team, it is quite depressing if that just is the norm over and over again. And you see, you hear things like some fans saying, maybe we should just accept that this is just the level we're going to be at. That's just that apathy that's creeped in so much that some fans have almost checked out. Now, we haven't. I mean, we wouldn't be running a football podcast if we had about this team week in week out but i can understand on a human level the frustration of the fans who go and watch this team and see a team that aren't going anywhere at this moment in time and the that the hope the team can go somewhere and create something that excites the fans it's just what, what we need at the moment isn't it yeah and it's not as if it, it, it doesn't match the expectation does it and the expectations are fair because we, we, we mentioned them earlier it's not as if we're in, a, we're in a division that's slightly above us and we're punching above our weight and we're fighting for every point to get in, to not get relegated. If that was the case, Pompey fans would be behind them the entire way, even if the team was arguably be worse. Yeah, of course it would. Imagine in the champ, if we're in the championship and we're scraping for points to try and stay up, I bet you the atmosphere would be incredibly better than it is now because we would appreciate the fact that we're playing against teams with, with bigger budgets or, or whatever, and the players will be trying to do that to stay up and, and that kind of situation. And hopefully it's not quite that bad if we do get promoted. But at the moment in time, this is, seems to be a very underwhelming team for year after year. Dave Hartley messaged in and said, top six unlikely, especially if you don't win on Saturday. I think it's really unlikely. 
Is it mathematically impossible? No, but it's, no. it's not going to happen. But it's going to happen, yeah. <laughs> Apart from Curtis and Ollie Wearmy, out of the contracted players should be released or offered reduced terms. Move on. With Hughes overseeing recruitment, hopefully we can get a decent transfers in to get a balanced squad. So that is the hope. You know, Richie's done okay. You look at things like Towler coming in. That was a good signing. It's not up to him if he plays or not. And I'm hoping in the summer we can get some more smart signings and maybe we can see this team move forward. But that only has to happen with the backing of the board as well. You can't just hope that Rich Hughes pulls these little gems out of everywhere. You actually have to back the man as well. Yeah, absolutely. Apart from and Curtis and Oliver Emmy, I mean, Curtis is going to be out till next year, effectively. And Oliver Emmy is, you know, a young backup goalkeeper who probably needs more experience to go out on loan, really. I think we need to get another keeper in. And, and do you think he starts as the, the number two next season? Or I don't think he should. I think he needs game time. Same. He yeah. needs game time to get better and he needs more than cup games, doesn't he? So, and it's, it's unfair to have a young keeper on the bench at that point, I think. I think he, he needs games, uh, whether at League Two level or National League level. I think he needs to be number one for a little bit. Looking at Richard Hughes's time at Forest Green, two things pop out. Obviously, bringing out players from nowhere to play some very nice football at League Two level with a side that controlled games. That excites me. But what doesn't excite me is how quickly that side was picked apart, well, this summer. There's a reason why Forrest Green relegated for that first team in the Football League to be relegated. It's because all their best players were out of contract in the summer, poached by bigger teams, one or two key injuries, and that was it. It wasn't, it wasn't the same team that got promoted. Then they tried to play like that. It didn't work. So that worries me. I don't know whether that's just the stature of Forrest Green and they couldn't offer longer terms. Or if it's just a bit of naivety that they would sign the contracts when they got promoted. Because Forrest, most of them went on the free, so Forrest Green didn't get anything for them. So it's a balanced thing there, I think. We'll have to see with Rich Hughes. I think we need more time with him. Yeah, we can't really assess it really until he's had this summer to build a squad of players he wants. But again, it's just frustrating waiting, but it's what we've got to do. Chris Amote messaged in and says, injuries certainly haven't helped, but the likes of as Rico said... There's no way a team can go 14 games without a win and expect to be in the playoffs. I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the we're, we're going to go in, into the injuries in a bit with the news section, but yeah, the injuries were wretched this season, weren't they? And yeah. obviously they contributed to the poor performances, but I don't want to solely blame injuries. I don't. No. We've done that too many times. It's definitely a factor, but it's not something that's going to be the reason. Christopher Moe mentions on and says, I like the Cowleys, but didn't work out for whatever reason. Probably should have gone sooner. Moose has to be backed in the summer. He has to be backed in the summer. And it will be interesting to see. I mean, just touching on Michael Eisner coming out and saying he's disappointed on Twitter with the performances of the team. I mean, it's interesting. He's not really a very outspoken owner, is he? He, also, yeah, a, he says he doesn't like to tweet when we, when we lose just as a general principle. So it's going to actually do that says a lot, doesn't it? It does. So maybe he's going to have to come up with a strategy of how he's going to increase revenue in order to, well, not revenue, increase the budget in order for us to be competitive next season. Because with the teams coming down, there will be some teams there that will have decent budgets. Yes, some teams will go up, etc. But if you look at the champ race now and teams coming down, we'll see how it goes. But there are going to be teams there that could potentially 
you know, will compete at the top of League One. So it's not really something we can just sort of accept and, you know, okay, if, you know, if, I don't know, Plymouth or haven't got the biggest budget, but if Switch Wednesday go up or... It's actually now very tight in terms of teams that can get relegated from the Championship. In 18th, it's Rotherham with four to six points and they're three points off safety. They're three points above safety, excuse me. So there's Rotherham United, there's Cardiff City, Huddersfield and QPR. And then you've got two basket case financial case clubs in Reading and Wigan. And then you have Blackpool. Wigan at the bottom, seven points adrift, probably getting relegated. You have no idea what they're going to be next season because of the several points deductions this season for financial fair play, not playing the players for months on end. We don't know. Blackpool will be probably solid enough. They'll keep most of their players, presumably and reload properly with the extra money. Again, Reading, you have no idea. They're spending a ridiculous amount of money on players still. None of them want to play in League One. But then that budget somehow might still be high enough to compete. But if a team like Cardiff go down, their stature, club stature rise, but not, not counting the players they may have on the pitch, they'll be favourites by quite a way. Huddersfield, I'm not sure about their ownership situation. It's a bit strange. And then you have QPR getting relegated as well, which is, there are some big, League One wise, there are some biggish teams there, aren't there? It's not clear that Pompey will have a clean run at the playoffs, even if that happens. Messina's Moose messages in and says, first half of the season wasted once injuries started and tinkering and overcomplicated started. Form picked up again once teams settled. In less games with Danny squad, John got more points than he did. Have massive issues with players. Could justify reasons why he should go. Just turn this squad over. I mean, don't like to be angry about stuff like this, but are you, are you as we said... Are you, are you looking at players up in uh, contracts in the summer? Are you thinking it's just... Obviously, we, we can go through it in a more detail in another podcast episode, but are you thinking of just culling most yeah, of it? Yeah, I am, yeah. Stripping it out and starting again, effectively. I mean, again, that, I know. But uh, what what are we saying then? What we just send a few loan players back and then add a few players and we go again? I'm not sure I can take that to be honest. I just don't think this team has the right chemistry, and I think the style, the chemistry, everything needs to be reworked and put some top end talent in this team who can score goals. I, I do think there's a level of you look at these players and these performances this season, it's just not been good enough apart from a couple. And whether that's because of how it was recruited before or, you know, what sort of players the Cowleys wanted and that didn't work out or whatever the reason, I'm at the stage now where I think we just need to start stripping this team out again, unfortunately. But with the level that we recruit players who have that high-end ability, that high talent, I mean, that's easy to say on a podcast, isn't it? But it's up to it's up to the the recruitment staff to find these players and create a team. I mean, what what, what we will say is one of the highlights in the summer's PO forecast transfer special is our best player currently. So, uh, uh, so Pompey, if you're listening, but both of us have uh, dropped our CV in the door. Yeah, sign us up, boys. <laughs> Stephen Comesh in, and first of all, thank you, Stephen, for donating us some money on BuyMeACoffee.com. That is really appreciated, mate. Yeah, that's incredibly kind and wholly unnecessary. <laughs> but um, thank you very much. Um, 
And that goes out to all the listeners who also don't donate, obviously, because that's, no, no, there's no way there. That's an obligation. Uh, you guys make this show by listening to it. Um, we wouldn't be doing it if nobody listened to it. So, well, we might be. I'll try and get my mum to click on it, you know, get, get us up to those magic double figures on listeners. Come on, mum, give it a listen. Tune in. She'd be like, fuck off you. Cause I'm a massive disappointment <laughs> as a son generally. I don't think my, I don't think my dad listens to it to be fair. He might. I'm not sure. My my old boss at work now listens to it because he says that it's cool that he's not sat next to me every day listening to my voice normally. I mean, he's oh. a Barnsley fan, but he but he listened to the podcast out of interest of stuff and what was going on for League <laughs> One. So if you're listening, Rich, big up, mate. And I can understand that because if you have to listen to me drone on at work all day for nine hours, then you probably not want to go home and, and listen to me when you're at home either. Stephen Comestian, anyway, says two main reasons. Cowley's clearly lost losing the dressing room towards the end of the time with us yet yeah. <laughs> plus all the injuries the question is why have we got so many injuries this season was it hiring players who've got bad injury records is it the lack of quality training pitches is it the medical team which might be slightly harsh to suggest or is it something else what do you guys think in an ideal world for next season i'd like to see us build a team around bishop but it's likely he's going to be sold and we need to build again around the contracted players pompey decide to keep I hope we sign Macy permanently. Yes, his distribution is a bit poor and his main strength being a shot stopper, which is what we need. That would be a strong start to the window. Again, we said that we'd be quite happy with Macy coming in and then being signed. Again, I'm open to new options if they think there's a better option out there. But I think he's been genuinely quite solid for a League One keeper. They're not going to be perfect. We remember he who should not be named Bazunu making some gaffes as well, even during his time of being a good player for us. So that's just going to happen at this level. But, you know, we don't want Simon Eastwood, let's be honest. I had to mention that since we had Oxford. Yeah, you know, yeah. You were speaking of injuries. Players. Yeah. The medical dream dot's an absolute bombshell in the news. Have you seen this? Yeah. Um, the, the opening paragraph, if the driver takes the car out in Formula One with reservations from the mechanics, then proceeds to crash the car on the first corner without warning it, warming up the brakes or tyres, that is not the mechanic's fault. If the driver then goes out and does the same thing again, but this time blames his mechanics, that beggars belief. <laughs> you can put a shambles of a club we are. It becomes, it's it's become out. completely petty, hasn't it? Um, so if you've not seen this, this was in the news, I believe this is Neil Allen who did this, in a nutshell, the, physio- the medical team blamed Danny Cowley for effectively rushing players back and using training methods which, le- which left led to soft muscle injuries. They cited a lot of data, and I encourage you all to read this yourself because it is genuinely probably one of the best articles I've read all year, one of the most incisive. They said this, and said the same medical team that got through that record 62-game season. Do you remember that under Kenny Jacket? We had that 62-63 games. They said that injuries and training injuries skyrocketed since Cowley's first full season. That's where they tracked it. And uh, the mix was something that the medical team had never seen before, direct quote. Pre-season injuries from 2017 to last summer, they counted the ball. So in the four previous seasons under Kenny Jacket, during the pre-season, the injuries were three, one, two, and three. Under Cowley's two seasons, it was seven and eight. And that was in pre-season. That was even before the season even started. And apparently the majority of them were a soft muscle. And yeah, and then another quote that jumped out at me, I'm not going to give it a whole thing, 
When you're chosen to do that preseason with an outside injury prevention specialist who you've worked with before and then get that many injuries, you may be able to look in the mirror rather than out of the window. Quoting a bit from Danny Cowley in a previous interview. So yeah, Bobby Basic and some of the other medics have gone completely wild. I, I don't see I don't see any other football club where their medical team goes this forward. And I mean, looking at purely the data, the criticism's fair. We'll never know if it's poor facilities or bad training methods. Or even if Danny Cowley's right, it's the medical staff. It's all a bit of a mess, isn't it? It's a complete mess. I mean, I think we should go back to the Kenny Jacket School of uh, Training. Pilates, Zumba and Samba. Rotated weekly. That's what you do. Get the boys out there. Bit of rumba, maybe. Splash that in there as well. But in a serious note, you just got to see if it changes. If it changes next year under a different coach, you've got two possibilities, haven't you? You've got either this... If it doesn't change, sorry, you've got... This coach is also awful at training methods, which I'm sure the medical team will will throw mud at again. Or maybe it is something to do with the the players and just the training methods, etc. Again, we're not going to know, are we? All the facilities I, they train in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who who generally likes to to train on sand? No. Anyway, I jest. I've got. It's the only way I can. There's one more situation. Passage tr- quote which I will mention. <laughs> He said that with John Massino and John Harley, Bobby Bassett said, there's an understanding of the players and what players need because they've played the game. That's not a direct quote. That last bit's paraphrasing, but that is literally, that is what they mentioned. We'll leave it there. There was only one other bit of news, which I will say. The Jay Mingy contract saga, um, this is by Neil Nelburn, a Jay Mingy representative, I can have a decent guess who that is. Said so that Pompey turned down free bids for Jay Mingi in January. They added that the training compensation for Mingi, if he goes to another team, is £30,000 if he leaves in the summer. And, and bids in January roughly double that. Mingi's in the bottom three of earners and was offered uh, a big pay rise and a three-year deal in January. But the representative and Mingi uh, said they're waiting. They haven't rejected the deal. They said the offer's on the table. But basically, they're waiting to figure out if they receive any other League One champ interest for signing anything. But obviously, Mingi's barely played under um, John Massino, largely due to injuries. He played in the Senior Hampshire Senior Cup for a bit. Essentially, the representative said he's unhappy with Mingi not being played. And then Massino came out and said the, um, the idea that Mingi not playing due to the contract situation is nonsense. And he said that other players are playing who are up in the summer, which I believe. That is the Mingi saga in a nutshell. Obviously, I want him re-signed because I think he fits the mould of player we're looking at. And he's a good depth option. And he probably deserves a pay rise, largely. But if Bassinho's barely seen him play, can you at least understand the reservation of why he's not been extended already so far? Yeah, I can. But it also comes down to Hughes, doesn't it? And who he wants to sign, let's be honest. And he has seen him play. So... I'm a little bit, it's a little bit confusing for me in that sense of, you know, where we go from there. But I want to see Jay Mingy signed. I don't think his wages are going to be ridiculous, especially if there's a contract off on the table. You I know, mean, we get to the what, six, what could we the get club the really do? They offered him a proper three-year deal and a pay rise in the December. And they, and they, and they extended beforehand. 
Are you surprised though that he's not just taken the offer straight away? Oh no, 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 not at all. He's doing the sensible thing for his career and looking for all his options. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 what I said earlier, the, the, in the article, it said the contract was still on the table, so they could accept it if they want, presumably, unless that representative lied, which they may have done. It's possible. Let's on to the next one. Tyler Messi, and he said, season's been over for a while now. Can't compete with the top six sides. Most of the squad can go. I agree with you there, Tyler. We'd love to see Bish stay, but if a good offer comes in, then Pompey should cash in. Depends how much that offer is, right? I mean, I don't want to see Bish go because he's the only player bloody scores any goals for us at the moment, unless you're replacing him for a like-to-like player. Yeah, I was going to say, if they... Uh, what, what, what would the club probably accept for Bish? Three plus mil? Presumably. Less, couldn't it? Let's be oh honest. God, if it's How less. Much we... Two and a half is the lowest. If it's less than think... two and a half, if it's less than two and a half, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Then we'll be drinking a lot more pints before watching the game <laughs> to get us through it. Probably. Patrick Adjaman comes out of retirement to replace him. <laughs> Let's don't see it happen go, now. Don't go there. <laughs> Oxford have some wasteful strikers. Let's get one of those in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to everyone messaged in. I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. All right. Let's go for it. At Crington Stanley. They are rubbish. Looking at their results. I mean, the last six games, they've won one of them, lost five. Recently, it wasn't too bad, I suppose. They lost 2 1 to, to Peterborough at home, lost 5 2 to Fleetwood. 3-0 to Sheffield Wednesday. They won one game, 3-0 against Port Vale, but Port Vale did have a player sent off. They lost away at Accrington, lost away at Exeter, sorry, 5-0, and lost again at home to Plymouth, 2-0. This is a team who can see goals, who leak goals, which could be something quite nice for Pompey because we can't really create any chances. So hopefully in this game, we will actually have some opportunities to, maybe not just for the lack, maybe not because of Pompey's quality, but just Accrington's real lack to be able to shut teams down. We know what Arkansas do on the attack, Freddie. They like to get balls into the box. Pepper crosses in. They'll shoot whenever they can. They're a volume team who just try and get everything on target as much as they can. Sort of low quality chances, but, you know, high turnover. They really struggle to defend against players who attack at them, who run at them. A bit of talent in behind. I mean, it's not great with our wingers at the moment and the form they're in and the quality they have, but in theory, if you had some rapid players who could run at them and isolate them at the back, they would be in a bit of trouble. Best player to watch, of course, is Pompey Boy. Tommy Lee plays, they play like a 4-2-3-1. He plays in the cam role. Ironic, considering we're talking about the fact Pompey haven't got a cam to play in that position. And he's a local lad with the biggest, thickest pause with accent you can ever hear. He leads the team at the moment with seven goals. Next player is Sean McConville, who anyone who follows League One will know, playing on the wide left wing in the 4-2-3-1. Old school player for them. He's still banging about, and he's got five goals this season for them in the league. This is the team, Freddie, who Pompey in theory should be doing pretty well against and, and really coming away with three points, especially at home against this sort of team, who tend to do better on their little battling pitch at home. Freddie... I don't want to go into too much depth about this from a, from the start, but from from a trying to look at this objectively rather than emotionally because of the results you've had. Do you think this is a game that we can win first off, and secondly, how do you think we'll match up against Accrington? Well, objectively, yeah. I mean, Accrington sort of struggled to score goals, 
um, compared to the last two seasons, they don't have Dion Charles and Colby Bishop who have gone on to who have gone on to other teams who create more chances and they've scored more goals from them as a result. Both players doing exceptionally well. They have some creative players, like we said, but confidently those are the main ones. But they don't really have an outlet for their attacking play. And defensively, they're leaky. So, in theory, Portsmouth should win this game objectively. I'm not necessarily win it with a plum or, or with some style, but they should be able to grind out a comfortable 1 or 2 nil win. They should be able to do that. Whether they will is another scenario. Um, they might even match up with Top Top again. They maybe play, play, play Piggott in the cam for a bit of focal point, try and take away some defenders from Bish. I suppose. And that's about it, really. There's a, there's not much else that I can think of to say because you know what Pompey are going to do. They're probably going to set up in the 4 2 3 1 to try and match them. Probably play Paddy Lane if he's fit. Maybe play Hackett on the left hand side. But maybe they'll rotate even further, play someone like Kobe Motter for the last quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. Even though he's a wing back, they might play him on the wing, potentially, and just see what they have. Yeah, well, because you've seen what they have, they might probably even go as far as I suppose. Actually, no, Zach Swanson's not fit. I don't suppose. I don't think he's been on the bench for ages. So maybe less rotation there. They might bring Riley Towler back in the side if he's fit. I think it's the sort of game where since playoffs are over, you want him to get as much experience as possible. So you may as well, might you? Aside from that, there's not much else there. It's a game that Pompey should win at home. And I'm trying not to look at the previous four games to try and influence that decision. <laughs> you were thinking another time of the time of the season, Fred, they might come for a draw. They might sit back in a low block and, and go for a draw, et cetera, but not really the way they play a lot of the time. And I, they need to win this game, don't they? They're second from bottom. Only Forest Green have got a worse record in the league. They're still not out of it, though. It's not like they're adrift like Forest Green were who are relegated. You know, it's currently on 38 points. Oxford, who obviously got that great point against Pompey, only three points ahead of them, although they do have a much worse goal difference of minus 37 compared to Oxford's minus 11. This is a game that Accrington need to come out and try and get three points from. And it'd be interesting to see how they approach that to try and get three points. Whether they just sit back. I just don't see that. It's how they play. They're it's going to try and get It's not like a style of football. When have, no, they, ever, when, gonna... have they, when have they ever come to Fratton Park and try to sit back properly? They're not that sort of side. No, so... they're probably just going to try and get the ball forward, get it wide, get balls into the box and hope one of these volume sort of chances creates a, creates a goal. Let's not go too much more into it, Fred. It's been quite a long pod. I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game against Accrington and any goal scorers. I'm going to go with my head this time and not with my heart to look at the last few games and saying we'll lose this game against a side that will battle for relegation. I'm going to go with a very safe 1-0 ports of win. I'm going to go with Colby Bishop scoring because I think he should get his 20 league goals before the end of the season, if nothing else. That's the highlight, right? <laughs> That's what we're holding on to at the moment. I want to see Messiniozzi. I think he mentioned bringing in players now, trying things out. Now playoffs basically out of sight. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'd like to see Riley Taylor come back into the team. Come on, let's just get this sorted. Let's not play players who aren't going to be here next season. Let's just try and get some some momentum going with him and just, you know, see, just play him. All right, I'm not a rabbit on anymore. 
I'm going to go with a 2-0 Pompey win. And I'm going to go with a Bishop Brace. There we go. Because no one else scores in this team. <laughs> All right, Fred. It's been great having your podcast. Oh, always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll, we will continue this until the rest of the season. We'll go from there, shall we? Yeah, and then we'll do some splash episodes in the summer as well. But until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!